coming up on this week's episode of the Big Footy Podcast. We talk all about the big incidents from the weekend, including Bashar Hooley and Alistair Clarkson. We talk about St Kilda's move to Moorabbin, and we ask the question, is the New Zealand experiment doomed to failure? All that and more, coming right up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Big Footy Podcast. I am, of course, the Wookiee, and with me tonight, I have a stellar podcast crew of, uh, well, I've got Mike here tonight from the Western Bulldogs, uh, celebrating his team's ongoing successes, and with his new uh, life-size poster of Bonampelli on his wall. Mike, welcome. How do you have a, a life-size poster of the bots? God, you've been snooping on me, mate, have you? Well, I've got, in, I've got intelligence <laughs> to suggest that you're getting a wax figurine made out of him. Also in life-size. must life have size. high ceilings. <laughs> and, oh, God, um, he's huge. Absolutely. I've got a picture over my bed. Every time I close my eyes and wake up in the morning, I can see the bonds right above me. There you go. There's no rumours that your wife has to wear a bond uh, mask to bed? Oh, <laughs> uh, no, look. And joining us and enjoying life at the very top of the AFL ladder, Fremantle's very own Seppo. Hey, oh, good evening, guys. And I'm just uh, recovering for a bout of uh, altitude sickness. There, it's it's an odd feeling at the top, looking down, and just uh, pass me the oxygen while you while you can. And I'll try and stay with you guys tonight. <laughs> And now able to throw out your collection of Colin Sylvia cards, apparently. Yes. <laughs> quite happened Shandog uh, is also with us this evening, no doubt. Uh, pleased with finally getting a win over somebody, even if it was St Kilda in the far-off reaches of New Zealand. In front that's quite of... a uh, That's quite a really uh, anticlimactic intro <laughs> compared to the rest. Uh, uh, Everyone else is flying. Shandog's here. Yeah, Carlton sucks. Move on. <laughs> At least, hey, a at, win's a win. at least we had a win, man. At least I'm not coming on going, not only did we lose, but we also lost in New Zealand. <laughs> this is true. To St. Kilda. That's right. And to St. Kilda. Without Rewalt. Like, I did I did love uh, the footy show on Thursday night where Sam Newman tipped um, tipped St. Kilda to win until he found that Rewalt wasn't. He said, oh, no, no. Definitely definitely Carlton now. <laughs> That's it. Good call. So, um, right, up, right up there with Gold Coast as a one-man team, apparently. Now, um, a bit of news this week, lads. But before we get into that, what was your highlight from the weekend, uh, Seppo? Uh, my highlight. I'm actually going to put the focus on uh, a retiree from our club that we're uh, on the Freo board. We're also sad to see go is Colin Sylvia and his uh, shock retirement after four rounds into the year. Obviously, just not making it, and it's quite an odd time to do it. And it's. Um, you can obviously see a lot of relief from maybe the club that they've been able to sever ties and come to agreement with his uh, contract to pay him out and um, depart ways because things wasn't just working out for him. So that's my uh, highlight from the week. Not a game, but a, a player retirement. Um, and it's it's one that we're probably all uh, quite happy with on the Fremantle board and it, I suppose down at the uh, club as well that they can just move on and, and not have to worry about someone on the list that probably just didn't want to be there but um yeah, it's a it's a shame to see him waste a lot of talent but i suppose we did everything we could and i suppose melbourne tried with the time they had him there um 
but it was just up to him really and he and he didn't want to do it and um yeah it's it's my highlight to see him go it's everyone's highlight Se- to see him go <laughs> Seppo, come and tell us what what didn't Fremantle learn from melbourne out of colin sylvia um it, it's very hard it's it's not like taking the Melbourne out of Colin Sylvia that we all joked about because that wasn't really there. It was just something different. And the fact that he just reported out of shape and really struggled with rehab and there was guys that, you know, had same problems with injuries that tried really hard and got back or had to retire for different reasons. This was just, um, yeah, it's it's very uh, weird circumstances, this um, retirement, but... Yeah, it's it's hard to describe it. <laughs> Other than, yeah. Does this hurt Peel's chances Belief. of winning the Waffle Premiership? Yeah, even Peel are happy, and this is the thing that uh, I think everyone's happy that he's happy. He's he's not having to rock up now to training, and Peel are happy he's not playing there. Freo are happy he's not on the list, and have have to uh, pay out. He's he was contracted actually to the end of next year as well, so. They obviously don't have to pay out 2016, and I believe it was a percentage of this year's um, salary. So we don't have him on our total player payments for 2016, which is brilliant as well. Well, at least Colin can plan his uh, his next ski trip up at Falls Creek. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Without any interruption, mind you. But you know what they say: you can take the culture, out, you can take the boy out of the culture, but you can't take the culture out the boy. Mm. Speaking of weird reasons to retire, um, Alex Rance is in negotiations with Richmond at the moment. Apparently being a Jehovah's Witness and playing AFL not really uh, go together, apparently. Is that true? Is he a Jehovah's Witness? According Interesting. To, according to the AFL website. But you know, he's not... So. He's not going anywhere. Rance won't be going anywhere. He'll stay at Richmond. They will throw everything they can at him. Otherwise, if they lose him, it will be the floodgates open. He's far too important for Richmond to lose. I think he's local Jehovah's Witness. Um, what do they call him? It's not a parish. Assembly. They probably want him to play on anyway. They tithe, don't they? It's good for the coffers. Mike, what was your highlight for the week, mate? Oh, jeez. How long have we got? No, my highlight for the week, obviously, was that it was uh, seeing the dogs smash Adelaide, absolutely smashed, and then you probably would have had a great deal of uh, enjoyment seeing those smuggler supporters over there, um, very, very quiet on Monday morning. I do enjoy but, a good um, uh, Adelaide defeat. <laughs> well, I can tell you what the uh, uh, the uh, Western Bulldogs board was lit up by. I'd never seen so many port posters on there at any one particular time. But um, no, look. <laughs> <laughs> All jokes aside, now look, it was a fantastic effort. Um, a good, uh, solid three and a bit quarters until the guys started tiring out. But it was actually nice to see some free-flowing, you know, some attacking style of footy that the dogs are capable of playing. Excellent. And Shandog, uh, what was your highlight for the week, mate? Um, honestly, I've, I've, I know Cripps had a fantastic game and it was brilliant to see because we've all been really waiting and hoping that um, he, he's going to live up to how good we think he is going to be. Um, and that was brilliant. But I kind of love seeing the Bulldogs smash Adelaide as well. <laughs> so that that was definitely my highlight of the week overall. Um, it's there's nothing better than than having to live in Adelaide and and seeing them just go through that sort of pain. It it just makes it a bit more bearable being here. <laughs> and it was really the way the Bulldogs played was actually, uh, you know, it, it was kind of like watching Port when we f- first sort of saw them come out with this running, gunning sort of high pressure game. I was like, wow, this is actually really good to watch. 
I got the same feel from watching the Bulldogs as well that I thought Bulldogs style and sort of you saw it towards the end of last year was this contested footy winning side and I thought they were going to slip back because of the uh, absence of Liberatore but I'll tell you what with Bontempelli and Stringer and McRae and some of the other types they're uh, an exciting side to watch now absolutely so my highlight of the week uh, was Cameron Wood the Carlton Ruckman and I know I know this is not really everyone's cup of tea and I don't care but um, he, he, he's doing stuff at ground level. I don't know if anyone w- watched any part of the game, but he picked up, he, he was picking balls up off the ground, he was kicking balls forward. It's everything I want in a Ruckman, really. I'm so used we'll to playing that one to next week. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to give him some credit for the work. I, I, think, I, I wanted to give him some credit for the work that he's doing. He is, he's... For a guy taken in the rookie draft on his like third chance, I, I think he's I think he's delivering. So there, that's my highlight. Very good, very good. Yeah, nothing nothing fancy. I don't have all the all, you know. I'm I'm not taking stabs at my opponents and things like that. No, this week. It's no, good. that's all right. But it's actually a similar story to um, to Ace Cordy. Now uh, the board was. Uh, was not meltdown, but it's questioning why Minson was dropped. And uh, we've got this bit of an in-house joke going on with Ace Cordy at the moment. But um, it, he got absolutely slaughtered and hit out by Jacobs on the weekend. But it was around the around the ground work where he uh, he made the biggest impact. So it's it's funny. It's similar sort of stuff. He was in there picking up the ball, kicking kicking the goal, to start off the game, and uh, was doing those things around the game around the ground that uh, Will Minson wasn't doing. And that was probably partially the reason why. Min- and was dropped, so uh, I thought that was a funny parallel there in terms of uh, those two plays. Wood had 16 disposals, two marks, and four tackles on the weekend. And yeah, would to, be, you, yeah would... to be frank, you can't you can't play football at AFL level in 2015 onwards and be a ruckman who doesn't do anything but tap the ball. And that, You're just down the player as soon as the the contest is finished. And that was exactly... You just have to look at Goldstein and now what he's doing. He's sort of setting mm-hmm. a benchmark from a, what a Ruckman needs to be now and it's more than just a, a tap Ruckman. Yeah, and, exactly. and that's exactly uh, what my point has always been with Warnock mm. is that he doesn't deliver that it, basically he's a, a guy that you could literally, you, you could give like Murphy, like one of those long hand things that just reach up and like punch a ball or something. And get one then, of the clappers from the crowd. Yeah, yeah. You mm. know, one of those extender hand things and he could just stand there in the middle and take the ruck tap and then just like throw it away to a trainer or something. And then we... Selfie stick might look appropriate, really, actually. <laughs> yeah. We'd be better that off. Sounds like a Murph thing. So, moving on to the news, guys, as uh, we plunge through the agenda this evening. And Basha Hooley from Richmond uh, was allegedly vilified by media personality Tom Elliott. Again, a media personality I've never heard of, but apparently he's on 3AW, which I don't get in Adelaide. So, um, guys, any thoughts on this? Just another one of those tongue-in-cheek steps, really slip of the tongue, and I don't think he really thought about what he was saying at the time. Obviously, this, this is the uh, media personnel, and I did hear, actually, during the call. So it's pretty pretty silly sort of thing in this day and age, I think, with the AFL trying to keep things um, in terms of, you know, uh, a game that's accessible to all and keep that stuff out. But I guess, you know, we are just human after all, and we are going to make these slip-ups from time to time, so it's pretty silly, but I think it's probably being made out to be uh, something bigger than it really is. Elliot denies saying... 
It was John uh, Burns, by the way. Oh, was it John Burns? It was. It was yeah. Bur- yes. Burns denies saying anything like that was. It, he, he says he may have said it, but if he said it, it wasn't in that context type of thing. And I'm wondering if what's happened here is instead of him saying, look, Bashar Huli is a terrorist, he may have said he looks like he could be a terrorist. I'm, I'm just not sure if there's a... I'm, I'm not sure what, what's going on there. And no one seems to be coming out saying this is exactly what was said. And, and the guy who said it's saying he didn't say anything that was offensive, but if he took something that could have been interpreted that way, he's sorry for that. Mm. Maybe he said he was terrorising the opposition. Is, is there any difference between... <laughs> no, no, he, look, no. He, there was... <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's really interesting because we have to probably go back and find the footage of, of uh, or listen to the actual cast of what was said in context, but it was it was mentioning talking about Bachar Hawley and then about four or five words later, the term terrorist came out. So he didn't start off and say Bashar is a terrorist because he's, 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 uh, he's Muslim or follows Islam faith. It was like, I think it was just a natural progression of him coming to that um, coming to that, that conclusion or that deduction because of his heritage. But anyway, look, it was a pretty silly thing to do regardless. He should have thought yeah, better absolutely. immediate personally. He should know better. And it seems to have been put to bed by pretty much everyone. So, you know, The but... reaction was actually quite good. Um, there's no... Um, Basha Hula coming out and pointing fingers and stuff like that. He said, look, I think the club said, we, we've, we've received an apology, we accept that, we want to move on, and, and um, uh, whatever else is that they, they said in those statements, they're like, yep, it was wrong, mm. um, he's apologised, and that's it, we're done now. Mm. Yeah. Now, in other, in other controversial things, Alastair Clarkson has apparently pushed a spectator who got a little bit too close to him. Uh, the footage was on, I think, Channel 7 the other night, who uh, apparently bought the footage of somebody. Um, apparently and... the, uh, the person that actually shoved it was uh, filming, and I think it was for five grand they got paid from Channel 9, what I heard here in Melbourne, for the actual footage. So they sold out and then went to the cops afterwards and um, obviously filed a report against Clarkson for that little shove, which is not necessarily a punch, but it was a forceful sort of shove away, and it's... Uh, yeah, quite interesting. It, it, and I suppose they first came out and the whole angle of is that everyone was supporting Clarkson for his uh, the way he acted. But then I think it revised over the next few days and, and, and what the proper outcome should have been is that he should have walked away and made no interaction whatsoever. Well, that's what he says himself. Um, mm. He says he's probably, in hindsight he probably should have walked away. But I think these heat of the moment things... Um, you you uh you don't really you lose sight of what you should do in the right uh in the right way in that and I think if someone does get too close to you and invades your personal space, the reaction is to push him away. I don't think Clarkson did anything in particular wrong. I think it was a bit stupid of him to be walking across the bridge um back into Adelaide after a game of footy, but you know. I think he just took it that one little step too far rather than just shoving the bloke away because, you know, clearly in his face and all that, he didn't just shove him away. <laughs> he took a swing at him. Like, it swung an arm at the bloke. You can't do that. You can't just swing out at someone who's pissing you off. That's yeah. about the gist of it. <laughs> now, the guy that... If actually... you could, it'd be great because fuck, well, I'd be walking around well, the streets all day. <laughs> the guy well, that actually... If you're a media personality, that's for sure. <laughs> the guy that actually did the shoving is apparently uh, an amateur footballer in Adelaide and is apparently facing the his uh, amateur football club's board over the matter tonight. 
<laughs> Apparently his club's taking it rather seriously. Yeah, but they seemed a bit more cuddly than coming down with a you know wooden spoon to give him a whack in the statements they made. Being asked to front his own clubs, according to the age, in any case, uh, Hawthorne officials have been uh, in contact with the amateur club and police are also investigating the incident. He wasn't representing the club at the time, but unfortunately for the young fellow who does sort of represent us just as a member and a player all the time, I suppose. No surprises here for me. He plays for Hackham, <laughs> uh, a club I played for back in the 90s. <laughs> And, Nothing's uh, changed then, eh? That they had, uh, <laughs> at the very least, the Hackham uh, C grade that I played for, they uh, they had a reputation for being a little bit um, on the rough side. So I don't think anything will happen, but he's going to probably get told off by the club. Um, and that's what happens when you get yourself on TV and they recognise you, I suppose. Uh, but, look, in a week's time, it will be forgotten. Well, until next time Clarkson hits something or someone, and then uh, it'll be back. They're lucky, they're lucky that guy was, uh, didn't get the same treatment as inside of the uh, plasterboard wall inside the uh, coach's <laughs> box. <laughs> now, um, the the Essendon Asada saga keeps on giving after the tribunal pretty much killed it from the AFL perspective. Work cover have now uh, swooped in and have removed a number of documents pertaining to this, and they were always going to investigate. Uh, there was an article bought with a... Oh, sorry, an interview featuring a lawyer from uh, WorkCover Victoria who was saying that they were literally waiting for the AFL case to finish before they uh, started their investigation, and obviously the AFL side of things is over, so um, WorkCover are now investigating... And the authority confirmed in the Herald Sun that it is investigating the Bombers Supplement Program run by sports scientist Stephen Dank and whether it was conducted. Essendon veteran Paul... Don't mind that. Um, yeah. So it says, in a letter sent to the players by work uh, safety inspector Max Charvon last month, the authority confirms that it is investigating whether the Bombers Supplements Program was run by sports scientist Stephen Dank in breach of the law. Um, unlike the AFL Asada investigation, the WorkSafe investigation focuses on whether Essendon may have breached its duties as an employer under the Occupational Health and Safety Act 2004. WorkSafe understands that as an Essendon player during that period of time, you may have been required to participate in the program. I would therefore like to talk to you about the program with a view to getting a witness statement from you. The issues I want to talk to you about focus on Essendon's processes and procedures for administering their supplement program as well as any concerns you may have had about the program, either now or at the time. And that's a letter that was sent to the players. So... Now, what this is, is this basically another crack at that bad governance that the AFL's already slapped Essendon with a fine? So this is like a double dose coming from work cover for almost a bad governance thing by putting the players under that duress? Pretty much, um, this is this is the government now coming at them and saying, well, under OHS rules, you have to keep these kind of records and you have to, you know, you can't treat employees with disdain. So, whether anything comes of it, there are maximum fines involved that Essendon could quite easily cover. So, it's not nothing major is going to come of this. No one's going to be fired or anything over this. I don't think it's just it's going to come down to some sort of fine. Or if the people Pretty were much. to be fired, they're already gone. <laughs> well, that's it. The people that are responsible have already left, and you can't do anything about them. So, well, work cover could, I suppose. Uh, but it's it's all mainly fines. 
there's no jail time as a result. There's no, you know, this is not a smoke. Wow. No one should be taking this as, you know, the, the, the hammer of God coming down. This is going to be slap on the wrist penalties. Pretty much, pretty much. It's almost, <laughs> almost clutching at straws. Yeah, anyone, anyone looking at this and going, yeah, justice is finally coming, you're barking up the wrong tree. It's like the AFL came out with a wet lettuce leaf and this is work cover coming in with a, a wet cabbage or something like that, just a bit tougher. I mean, the wording is going to be, you know, the wording might be stronger and the condemnation might be a bit louder, but, um, you know, and there might be other government, government consequences as a result. You know, the government could set up an inquiry or anything like that, but that's a long way from happening at the moment. Um, in other news, St Kilda are apparently finally going to settle back at Moorabbin. <laughs> um, the Kingston Council, which is responsible for uh, the area around Moorabbin Oval, have apparently voted for to uh, allocate $5 million for uh, redevelopments down there. And once the planning and everything is all completed, the Victorian government will put in another $5 million and the AFL will apparently contribute uh, yet another $5 million towards that. What this means for the Linen House um, at Seaford, which they hate, uh, I don't know, but the Kevin Andrews, the uh, Victorian Premier, apparently said that uh, it could be used by pretty much anyone in Frankston who wanted it. So... So, in other words, it's going to end up as a derelict building which, uh, with, <laughs> which no one will want to bloody use. Well, well, sorry, like, but it's, what a waste of money. It's a waste of money. It's supposed to be an elite uh, training centre, so maybe Frankston VFL will use it or something. Uh, it's there, there are junior sporting clubs and things like that up there that might use it. I don't know. It is a waste well, of money, though. It Really, they, they should have just come to some sort of... Uh, they left because they couldn't get pokies entitlements at Moorabbin, and then failed to win pokies entitlements when they moved to uh, Seaford. So, it was, yeah, this has been a, a very roundabout way, and really, they're back home, and good for them. But the story hasn't changed with the poke entitlements. They're still not going to get it at Moorabbin, are they? Or, or has the council well, I think it's changed. On that? The, the actual Kingston Council, the people on there have changed since the um, first application's been made. Mm. So I've heard they've now probably got a better chance to come back to Moorabbin for that particular reason. But the bit that amazes me is the the actual money the club's got to fork out and stump up um, for the proportion of um, that sort of couple of mil each. Uh, I can see other clubs sort of coming up with that money. I don't know where exactly or which coffers it comes from, if it's more supporters or corporate base. But with St Kilda's current membership base, unless they somehow have just access to more income, I'm not sure, Wookie, you're probably over the the balance books of uh, all the clubs and their revenue and profits, but can you see St Kilda actually raising that type of money over the next couple of years? No, that's why the AFL's going to have to pay it. That's where the mm. AFL's contribution is. Yeah. Uh, you, when, you, when, you say, uh, when you say club contribution, it's going to be an AFL contribution. It'll be written off as equalisation funding or something else. Is so, that of that kitty that we talked about a couple of weeks ago that AFL just fork out for the clubs to prop them up? Pretty much, and there shouldn't be there shouldn't be that funding for St Kilda. They've had their facility built. That they had their facility built at Seaford, and they should be made to lump like they should be made to use it. I, I it's don't big agree. Asset they're rotting off. I, I don't agree with this at all. This has been an absolute waste of everyone's time and money, and I. I 
if it was one facility, like the Bulldogs did it at the Western Oval, or Carlton did it at Visey Park, or Essendon did it at Tullamarine, you know, build, build a facility, sure. Get some AFL assistance to upgrade and bring your stuff up to state-of-the-art, sure. But well, two while of them, we're on that, but getting sorry, two of sorry them, Wookie, while we're on that, let's, let's look at uh, a news article on the 22nd of April about the biggest losers in the AFL's money war, and, and if we look at St Kilda now and their uh, financial predicament. Apparently, they are Greece. So close your eyes, Saints fan, because what you're about to read should almost be as painful as a 2010 grand final. The Saints are broke again. And a net loss of $3.91 million in 2014 and an asset deficiency of a million leaves the club in serious strife. So where are they going to get the money from? Yeah. Well, they're not, they're not going to fund this. No. This is not being funded by St Kilda at all. The the uh, the article on the AFL website says that it won't be funded by well, allocates no funding from St Kilda, uh, Kingston City Council five million, State Government eight million, AFL about five million. There's no and that AFL five million that would be the Saints contribution normally. Mm. There's no there's no um, St Kilda have no money. They are not and Saints people. I know you hate me for saying this on the forums. But it's looking grim. It is like North Melbourne have picked themselves up a little bit and their finances are doing a lot better. But the Saints, this move to New Zealand isn't enough. Um, It's not covering your debts. It's not covering your finances. You're going to have to do something else. And, you know, your costs are only going to increase when you bring uh, your reserves back in. There's another 400000 a year you've got to find. Time to find a second job. You know, mate. Hey, we all have to do it. I mean, uh, by all reports, Footscray make some good money from their VFL games. Whether that, you know, can help St Kilda at Moorabbin, uh with their with their VFL team coming back next year, I don't know. But not enough to um, not enough to get them out of debt, along with the increase in uh, running a VFL team. So I, I, honestly, I think if there if any team is a candidate for relocation at the moment. St Kilda would be at the top of that list. And, you know, that's a sad proposition. Well, at least there's a St Kilda in most states. Now, the other thing that's been going be on this week... <laughs> the other thing that's been going on this week, uh, we could move them to the St Kilda playground in Adelaide. Um, that's gone by the wayside as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a lot of rusted swings and things. Now, uh, or tetanus world, I think you could call it. Um, <laughs> move, move um, the other thing that's happening this week is, of course, the uh, glorification of Mick Malthouse, who will this week break Jock McCall's coaching record of 714 AFL, well, VFL AFL games. Uh, the record, of course, last broken by Jock McCall in 1929, which um, I'll note that Lee Matthews was complaining about on game day on Sunday. <laughs> Because apparently at least one of those games was a grand final that Jock McHale literally coached by correspondence from hospital. <laughs> did did, did any of you, you? Did any of you see game day on Sunday? 
I did see a bit that I actually, I missed that part of the, the part of the uh, show. Unfortunately, apparently he wasn't actually at the ground for the nineteen uh, for one of the grand finals, and uh, he was in hospital, and he just wrote letters to the assistant coach or something, and that's how. And and Lee Matthews is saying, look, he wasn't the premiership coach. He he has to lose that game. Malthouse is already the record holder. Hang on, hang on. Which which premiership was this? Nineteen what? I don't know. It was one of the, one of the, one of his one of his one of his uh, grand finals that he coached. Let's say what did they use? Gary Pigeons but anyway. He, he was saying, look, last year when uh, Clarkson sat sat out for five games and uh, the other guy coached Hawthorne for a couple of weeks, Bolton. You know, Clarkson didn't get four or five games added to his tally. They're on Bolton's tally, so maybe there's a point there. I don't care. But uh, Malthouse this week will break the record and, uh, you know, 715 games is a good result in anyone's book. Mm. So do you think Carlton will rise against the Collibbles to uh, give uh, or make them a memorable occasion for Mick? Well, I think it was footy classified on Monday night that we're going on about how Carlton have been utterly disrespected, uh, disrespectful towards the whole thing and not really making a big deal out of Malthouse being a living legend of the game and whatnot. And I'm not sure that Carlton should, to be honest. <laughs> he's only he's been he's been there like what a year and a half, two years. Uh, he coached against Carlton for most of that time. Mm. I'm not sure that Carlton owe, owe uh, Malthouse any great uh, celebrations as a result of this. The AFL do. Yeah, his the nature of his career is how much he's given to various the teams in right. AFL. Yeah, it's it should be a combined thing. The best stuff I've actually heard so far has actually come from Nick Matswell. He was on SEN this afternoon just talking about, you know, what Mick has done for so many individual players. It's probably his greatest sort of impact on the game and for how many players he's probably turned around, at least got the best out of. Um, That's probably the best thing that I've heard about Malthouse so far. I think the problem is that he's breaking this record with currently a say an average Carlton list at the moment because he was at his peak and probably in charge of, you know, Collingwood and Premiership window, you'd probably get more people, you know, applauding what he's doing and everything like that. But just at the moment, with the current situation of Carlton, it's probably just, you know, keep your head down, obviously let the media do their right thing. And apparently they've done a lot of pre-recorded interviews from the start of the year and articles and everything that's been trotted out this week. Uh, it seems it's business as usual and Carlton just fighting for the win and not use this to spur them on to get the result. But I suppose neither will Collingwood be looking at that same thing. Carlton have bigger issues at the moment in mm. terms of uh, whether he'll actually coach again next year. Uh, I don't think he will. But, uh, you know, and that's going to distract him all year. You know, is he the right man for the job? If he's not going to coach, who is going to coach? These are the bigger issues for Carlton at the moment. And, you know, him breaking a record when he's only coached, you know, 40 games for Carlton isn't really, you know, something that Carlton really need to worry about. But anyway, that's my that's my opinion, and I'll stick to it. Live by the sword, die by the sword, that's me. Moving along to um, New Zealand, and of course Carlton playing St Kilda in New Zealand on the weekend. The crowd was uh, the lowest of the four games played in New Zealand to date, or the three games played in New Zealand to date. Um, apparently Mark Murphy was issued a invitation to the game on the street. Uh, people didn't recognise him. 
and they asked him if he would like to uh, attend the game that evening, <laughs> uh, that, that day, and he was... And like, for once he decided to attend. And he did attend in style, <laughs> I might add, uh, probably his best game for the year. So it's... Where, where, where do you think we're at with the New Zealand experiment? Well, those comments that... Um, uh, who was the... Uh, sorry, remind me, Wookie, the... Uh... Jeff Dixon... Jeff, Jeff Dixon, Dixon yeah. yeah. He's the head of AFL New Zealand. He was uh, very active on the forum today in the New Zealand thread, and he has made a couple of comments there uh, regarding Hawthorne's involvement uh, after some posters alleged that Hawthorne had been overlooked and that they would be a better team to play in New Zealand than, say, St Kilda, who are on something of a low level. But uh, he does say about crowds that fair to say that nobody is happy with the current attendances for the Wellington game. All all stakeholders continue to search for a better approach. Crowds for last week's Super Rugby game in Wellington was 13,000. The Wellington Phoenix have not had a crowd bigger than 11,000 so far this year. So relatively speaking, the crowd is not as bad as some would suggest. I think it was, what, 12,000? That was the figure anyway. yeah. Yeah. Well, if you look at the, the some of the pictures that were coming out showed empty seating, but if you watch the game on the TV, um, there's a fair portion of people on one side of the ground, uh, and you can yeah. actually, you can actually see them in the seating. Like the 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 pictures that were coming out were of the opposite side of the ground where almost no one was sitting, which is a bit of a joke, really. So people running the agenda there like usual. Uh, remember also that Wellington has a population of between two hundred and four hundred thousand people, depending on where you put the border. It's not a big place. Uh, Ten thousand locals represent two point five percent of the population. Uh, also note that uh, they reckon only about two hundred Carlton people flew over for the game, which is pretty poor by Carlton. But you know we weren't expecting much from the game. So uh, in Melbourne, a population of four million people, two point five percent would equate to about a hundred thousand people. So. They are apparently considering moving the game to Auckland, um, and it is apparently got a bigger population there. Well, and they've got Eden Park there as well, which is an mm. oval, so and it, it's got a uh, twenty thousand capacity or something, I believe. Uh, the Wellington match is apparently uh, a Saints initiative. It's not an AFL initiative. It is a St Kilda one, but it is supported by the AFL. Uh, they say Wellington is the only city with an AFL-friendly stadium. The Auckland 10-year strategy and budget is to be announced this week, and we are very confident that an AFL-friendly stadium will be amongst the announcements and ready to host AFL fixtures in 2018. So, uh, he does he does have a lot to say in that particular thread there. But um, where where do you think we're going to go with this, Goss? Should we should we wrap it up? Should we call it a day? Should we keep going? It all depends if Saints, if they're the ones driving the initiative, think it's a, a viable sort of income or, or you know, revenue for them. And if they want to sell out, not relocate there, but keep on doing this and persisting with maybe trying to find a bit of an extended supporter base to that side of the country. Hmm. Well, I, I think if we're taking... Uh, sorry, go sorry. on. <laughs> I was going to say the other option is that maybe the AFL could be using it as a bit of a test to find out... Uh, you know, the potential market for a, a future team in New Zealand, much like the A-League and, uh, the, you know, the National Men's Basketball League as well. So that, that's another way of thinking about it too. Yeah, so that's what I was, I was sort of going to bring something up along those lines. If we're taking a really long 
um, view of this and trying to assess the viability of teams outside of Australia eventually coming into the con, maybe even 50 years in the future, then these are the sort of things that they probably need to persist with um, as to, to, to just bring it into the public consciousness overseas in, in other you know, Australasian countries as well if they want to expand it. They need to keep pushing for it regardless of how successful it seems right now. I, I don't see it as being any different. Like having 12,000 people turn up in Wellington is no different to me than having six or 7,000 people turn up at Traeger Park in Alice Springs. Mm. Um, it, or the 10,000 or 11,000 they get at um, Canberra Games. At or Cairns. Or it's, yeah, it's Spotless Stadium. It's part, it is part of growing the game. and I, I know people in the forum saying it's not about growing the game, it's about expanding the AFL brand. But in some cases, that's all part of it. There is there is a, a, a large AFL New Zealand presence in, uh, in New Zealand. There is a lot of school... Uh, school kids playing football over there and whether that'll translate into anything in the future. There are seven New Zealand players on AFL international lists at the moment. Like seven players directly recruited from New Zealand from their combines and other things. And there's a number of uh, New Zealand players uh, running around the VFL and other state leagues. I think that program is, it's a long-term program and there's a long view on it. And I think a game a year there doesn't hurt. It, It doesn't hurt at all. Even if that, as long as that game is drawing ten thousand people, and St Kilda are making money from that game, and they get their taste of AFL footy, that's fine. Yeah, just need to push it on TV a bit more and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's that. Anything else you guys wanted to talk about before we get onto the weekend games? No. No. Silence is golden. Absolutely. <laughs> no messenger this week, if you're wondering, guys. Uh, <laughs> he, he's sulking. He's utterly, he's sulking. <laughs> utterly sickened to the heart. A lot of things his, made him sad on the weekend. After <laughs> so he's, he's listening to uh, sad songs and, you know, sitting in his basement, just rocking gently <laughs> with his uh, cup of Horlicks. As uh, yeah, no, he, he's not well, but he has uh, sent in his review of the Hawthorne game <laughs> in writing, which we'll get to in a moment. Richmond took on Melbourne on Friday night at the MCG. Melbourne running out winners here by 20, uh, 32 points, continuing their run at the start of the season. Seppo, you watched this game? I did, and I sat down on Friday night, uh, much to my disgust to see Richmond there take up another Friday night time slot. But, um, yeah, this game surprised me a bit. I think I was more excited and jumping on the uh, young kids of Melbourne bandwagon with young Jesse Hogan and Angus Brayshaw and some of their other guys. Vandenberg looks pretty tough, and it was a different Melbourne than what we've seen in the last couple of years. And I think... Uh, what we've seen is uh, Richmond are a pretender, not a contender, and uh, they certainly showed that. You know, without Deledio and and some of the other guys, um, Chaplin, I think, was missing from their side. They are really just getting exposed for depth, and um, Melbourne are really just showing that that they can fight and and they've got a bit of a future on their hands. And some of the young guns, and it it, it does annoy me that. Young Jesse Hogan is a, a Fremantle supporter, and I think Angus Brayshaw was too before both coming across to Melbourne. And it's it pains me to to watch them do so well, and they are going to be gun players. And I think it's all going to come crashing down to the pack when uh, Melbourne play Freo this weekend. But it was good to see them get up. But Richmond were just terrible, and I suppose that result leaves them sitting in ninth on the ladder where they rightfully belong. 
And you've got big raps on uh, Jesse Hogan. He, he is. He's exciting to watch, and I think he's been labelled as the next Jonathan Brown coming through. And it, it doesn't take too much. He only kicked two goals, I think, from that. But you can definitely see there's something to work with him because he's just that rare type of, you know, a very smart footy brain, goes hard at it. Um, and he's <laughs> missed most of last year with that back issue. But what he showed in a couple of games already is very good. So they've definitely got something to work with there, Melbourne. And it's just different because last few years you've watched Melbourne play and they've, you know, Chris Chris Dawes is their key forward and, and guys that just didn't look like they went in hard. This was a almost, you know, a Frio of 2013 or Collingwood of 2011 or 12, that pressing, tackling game. And they've definitely added to that defensive mindset that Paul Rez has probably implemented last year. Now they've gone a, taken a step towards that attacking side and it's, um, yeah, it's impressive. Okay. Well, the question is the question begs to be asked: What then of Dimmer? Do you think he's got to go? Do you think he's right for Richmond? Something's fundamentally wrong there. They've got a list there that's capable of winning games, but something's going wrong, and they just can't join together. Is it Dimmer, or is it someone in the team, or is it what something else? I hate to say this, but Caroline Wilson on Footy Classified on Monday night may have had a point here. She doesn't understand how a player who was so hard at the ball when he played for Essendon can have a bunch of players who aren't like that as a coach. Is There's a fundamental disconnection there. So, I don't know. A lot of people say it must be the coach, not the list, but I really probably rate Dimmer as a coach, especially when you hear him talk, and I don't know what he's like, I suppose, in the uh, inner sanctum, but... I reckon Richmond's list is just not up to it. I know a lot of people sort of had them touted as a, a top four or climbing up the ladder, but you, you kind of look at it, and I suppose you just take away, you just have to put, look at their bottom five players each week, and they just don't seem like they're ready. They do have some good players out there, but I think Richmond are about where they sit in terms of you could throw any coach at them, but I think they're kind of like in the same boat as Carlton, unfortunately. Sorry, Wookie and Shandog, but they probably just don't have the list to say they're a legitimate top eight side at the moment. Yeah, I agree with you as well. I think it's their list, and the problem for them is they do have... They've got quality all over the park. You know, they're forwards. Um, they've got some real quality with, with um, uh, Revolt. They've got some quality defenders such as Rance. They've got guys in the middle who are genuine A-grade midfielders like Cochin and Delidio or wherever he's playing. But the problem is that the rest, the overall quality of their list is just not at a top four team's standard. They're just they're just 5% below across the park where they should be if they want a top four team. And the thing that's a problem for them is that all of their players, their, their best players are in that age bracket where you need to be pushing for top four or you're going to fail and then and sink back down again. So Seppo, you said that they're not quite top eight material? Mm, yeah, I sort of put them around the 8th, 9th, 10th there in terms of their, their sort of list and how ready they go and the quality of their... If you analyse everyone's best 22 and look at the sort of last four or five players, I just really don't rate Richmond in there. And I put them towards... I think I had them finishing 8th or ninth this year mm. based on that. I have Richmond finishing ninth every year. <laughs> not, 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 not for any reason. It's just funny no. that way. And look, Richmond... it's, it's... I don't know. I mean, look, it's the same list that that was there last year and the year before. So nothing really fundamentally has changed with their call list. But, you know, it goes back. I, I watched I watched their performance against the Dog a few weeks back. And they have a lot of good 
individual players on the team, but they don't play as a team and they've got too many bystanders. That is the problem with Richmond. They are not a core team. You know, they don't play as a team, unfortunately. I watched the, the game against uh, between the Dogs and Richmond and basically Rance carried the team and, and uh, stopped them from being a, a 10, 15-goal route. Um, and, and that's something fundamentally wrong. And if that's going on week after week, then what is going on? Is it is it is it the players are disinterested? Is it there's something wrong with the communication? And, and I can I can ask that because that's what happened between uh, McCartney, Brendan McCartney, and a number of the, the dogs players. Is that you know there was uh, commentary along the lines that uh, McCartney just sucked the fun out of footy. So is there something behind the scenes that we're not getting a hold of? Is is there something? Is there some sort of disunity? Are the players not happy with Hardwick, or because they've certainly got the ability, but they just don't play as a team? That's that's what I see. Mm. All right. Saturday morning, moving along, we're going to look at Carlton and St Kilda and Shandell. You watched this game? I did, and uh, after the first quarter, um, I, I was actually enjoying the game. St Kilda really got out and absolutely hammered us in the first quarter. We were looking like uh, Richmond <laughs> out there. But um, once once the game sort of got settled down, uh, we Carlton stopped turning the ball over with some pathetic ball use. Um, it, it ended up being the result that I thought it would be. Um, Carlton just has a, uh, you know, a more advanced list out there and they should have won and they did. So really it's nothing to write home about. There were some good individual performances in both sides um, that would be sort of um, heartening for, for fans looking at their younger players and that. But um, really, it was a result that I expected. Maybe I was looking at it through rose-coloured um, glasses. But, yeah, <laughs> Cripps was fantastic. Uh, Murphy um, lifted his game to where we, where it should be. Um, the rest of the sort of fringe players for Carlton um, put in decent efforts. Um, Armitage and Geary were really good for uh, St Kilda. And, and um, some of the young guys, uh, Jack Loney was, was particularly good. Um, Billings had some disposal issues, but looked quite good for them as well. Um, there's not too much you can really take away the game though from it because both sides look like the sides that they are, which is bottom eight material, really. Mm. Carlton won this game by 40 points, but it didn't, I didn't really send any... Um... You know, great, great Blogging hopes. text messages or anything. Yeah, didn't send any great hopes for the uh, season for anyone, I don't think. Other than, you know, Cripps being a, a tremendously good find by the look of things. Um, I'll note that Cruiser, the great white hope at Carlton, uh, should be debuting in the VFL for this season. Yeah, correct. Uh, so, whether he probably a couple of weeks in there and then back in. That, that might make a bit of a difference, I think. Um, we did have um, actually. I just will note there. Um, St Kilda had obviously Nick Rewalt out, um, and a couple of other players as well, like Lee Montagna, um, and Carlton also had a fair few players out as well. We're looking at you know Yaron and and um, other players who we'd normally consider best twenty-two, like Cruiser and whatnot. So it was, yeah. Um, there's not too much we can take away from that game. Jamison went into the game injured as well. I think he. Uh was off early and didn't return to the game at all. Then got subbed out in the last quarter, so... Yeah. Yeah. Nothing, nothing exciting. <laughs> yeah, nothing overly exciting. So we'll move on to the Essendon-Collingwood game. Uh, the big one, the big Anzac Day clash, and it was uh, Essendon-Collingwood, 6-13-49. Collingwood, 9-15-69. The Bombers going down by 20 points in the main game for the day. Lads... How do we, oh, how do we yes. see this? The season was in fine form, picking up the, uh, what was it, the uh, the uh, medal for uh, the Anzac Day. But, look, it was a sloppy game. It wasn't, it wasn't a, f- a 
uh, a game uh, by standards that was entertaining to watch, but Collingwood got the job done. Seedsman and uh, Pendlebury were the main damages for Collingwood. Um, but there was a lot of turnover, turnovers in the game, and um, it's just one of those things where you sort of watch and thought, yep, I'm glad that one's over. But, <laughs> well, well, um, well, I guess so. But anyway, look, that's right. The Anzac Day medal with four seasons. So if he's getting, if he's winning your Anzac Day medal, something's definitely bloody wrong there. But no, no, look, he, he played a good game. And, um, yeah, look, I don't know. It's just one of those games where you watch and you walk away and think, okay, well, right, what's the next game after that? Well, it was... I didn't... Sorry, go on. No, go on. I was going to say, as far as Essendon, they really didn't get a lot of drive much through the middle. They didn't get any, anything out of uh, Joe Watson. They got a little bit out of Hebble, who was, and Hawker, uh, who, who tried their day, or tried all, most of the afternoon, but I guess the conditions just didn't suit Essendon's style. And I think they're a little bit too top-heavy on the height there for the wet conditions. So, But we did see another 60-metre goal from uh, Dustin Fletcher to uh, commemorate the occasion. So I guess that's something to uh, celebrate for Essendon fans. That was pretty impressive, that kick, because I thought he was going to go to the tour, but it was um, pretty impressive for a guy like that. That leg just seems to get better with age, that he just did a normal drop pont, and it, I think it probably just cleared, cleared the goal line, but that was impressive from Fletch to kick that from that distance. It was just inside the square, but one, one thing that makes me is um, the other first goal of the game with Elliot um, basically sitting in the uh, first row in the stand and the umpire didn't call it out and they yeah, called that yeah. goal. That was um, pretty ridiculous that they didn't call that back or they've got no power to actually yeah, there's no view pa- that. Because there's it no power a... to do that. Yeah. No, look, it's just one of those things, I think, where, you know, the the umpire made a bad call, he let it go and lucky it wasn't one of those decisions that, you know, um, had an outcome on the game at a, at a critical point. So... Yeah, added um, to the least... spectacle of the goal. <laughs> <laughs> from kicking it from out of bounds, but I guess so. I Makes guess so. Well, I guess it's something when you look at, yeah, yeah, look, how many times have we seen decisions like that, um, you know, uh, result in a goal that really shouldn't have been there, but it's going to happen. You know, these umpires are only human. They make mistakes. Um, yeah, I guess uh, it's just one they'll have to uh, be mindful of. But um yeah, I guess back to uh, Dustin Fletcher now. He played in the very first Anzac Day game in, in what, 20 years ago, 1995. So it's something, isn't it? Yes. He's and edging closer to the, uh, what is it, the 400 Michael, Michael Tuck record. Yeah, now, what's he, he'll, be at, he'll be able to get 400 games if he if he can play at a few games this year, I think. Mm. So whether or not he'll make Tuck's record. How many, how, I don't think he'll make Tuck's record. It's, it's, I think it's a little bit too far for him now. How many games did Tuck play? He played 420 or something, didn't he? 429? Or was uh, it less than that? That's a good question, actually. I think he needs to go another season to break Tuck's record. So it's around the 420 mark. So I think he's four mm. games off the 400. So and I don't know if he's going to get rested when Essendon travel to Perth in a couple of weeks, but they've got a couple of games in the row in Melbourne. So hopefully that he gets to that 400 and breaks it in front of a big crowd do, for a do, big game. Does he catch Craig Bradley's record? Of uh, it's four twenty six for uh, uh, Michael Tuck, by the way. Mm. Um, Craig Bradley played more than three hundred games for Carlton, but he also played uh, about uh, ninety eight games for Port Adelaide. Played three seventy five games for Carlton in the end. Right. So he played. He played about five hundred games. Craig Bradley in senior football. 
in, in, in comparative senior football, I might add. Yeah, he was no, playing. not going to happen. He didn't come over to um, Bradley. Didn't come over to the VFL until eighty five, eighty six. So, um, yeah, I honestly think he'll call. Uh, he'll, he'll he'll play to his four hundred, and then I think after that he'll call it. I don't think he's he's uh, going to try and push breaking tucks record. He probably needs two seasons the way Essendon play him. They don't play him every week. They give him a lot of rest. Um, and then you've got to ask the question, you know, do you carry a player on the list for another two seasons when you could be giving that uh, spot to someone else? So, But look, you know, I guess you've got to love him, hate him or, or whatever. Mm. Indifferent. You've got to, uh, you know, you've got to applaud him being up to last 20 years in the game, which is a hell of a long time. Or no, not 22 years in the game, mm. which is a hell of a long time in this day and age for any player to spot him to stand up over that period of time. So... Yeah, good luck to him. He's, he's done well, I guess. I suppose with Lenny, Lenny Hayes retiring from the game, is someone like Dustin Fletcher the most likable player on any list? He'd yeah, have to be right up there, he, wouldn't he? He doesn't really do anything to put yourself offside, though. No. Yeah. He's, he's, he's just there. He's the type of player that almost gets a cheer every time he's touching the ball. and. I think people are just astonished he's still out there hero. and not, not dead or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be out there next season with his Zimmer frame rolling yeah. around. So. Yeah, he's going to be one of those guys. Um, yeah. Moving along, guys, we've got, a, we've got a few games to get through. GWS played Gold Coast on Saturday evening at Monica Oval. Uh, this game was convincingly won by GWS by 10 goals in the end. Six, well, 11 goals, 66 points, as GWS continue to have a stellar start to the season. Uh, Gold Coast, no Ablett. No Gold Coast, apparently, this season. Uh, questions over Rodney Eade already? Um, you know what? Gold Coast are in serious trouble this season, and I, I, can't, I don't think it's fair to just blame Rodney Eade. They've got another couple of injuries this weekend, um, so they've got a horrible run, but I think they're, um, they made a big mistake, whereas what you look at what GWS did with their list, and they've been very smart, and I think there's, we're going to see a gap between these two sides start to become very evident um, as the season goes on and GWS building strength, which they really are doing. So, unfortunately, I think uh, uh, Gold Coast went the wrong way with the drafting and put too much money in drafting mature older players where GWS have gone the right way about it. Even though GWS have to lose a lot of the young talent if they refine their list, they've definitely got the workings of a great side. And I suppose they've done all this with losing Boyd this year and they've got Patton out with a you know, long-term injury. So what GWS have done have probably far exceeded probably most people's expectations and they're probably ahead of the curve a bit now than where Gold Coast is. They've still got well, some actually, bones of a side out there, but just not not right. Speaking of Patton, he's actually pushing for selection back into the team. So oh, yeah. he's recovered from his, uh, from his uh, second knee recall and um, he's been doing a lot of training in the US uh, with some sports professionals who have helped a lot of professional sports players recover from uh, knee recall injuries. So he's actually in really good shape and can't wait to get out there. So look, it, it, for, for GWS, it's really an exciting time. And I guess they've got a really, really very good, strong list um, and a core group and they've made the right investments, I think, at the right time with the right players. So... It's going to be interesting to see where they go in comparison to the Gold Coast so, um, in the next few years. Jeremy Cameron had a contract at the end of the year. Uh, contract hold, contract talks are on hold at the moment. Never, never a good sign. He'll sign. He will stay. There's no way that GWS will let him lose um, after what's, what's happened. They'll probably lose one of their 
guys that they've got depth to cover for and probably one of the midfielders that will probably get good coin. There's a lot of West Australians in there. I'm not sure if the Eagles will probably need this. It's probably a, a good case to mount for one of the depth of the midfield, maybe Cornelio or something like that, heading back to West Coast or something like that. In West Australia, they'll probably lose one of those guys out of contract at the end of this year. All right. Uh, Port Adelaide played Hawthorne. We're going to cover that shortly. Uh, we've got some notes from uh, our Hawthorne supporting members. Uh, Fremantle played Sydney, though, Seppo. And, oh, it was a uh, cracking, Kane. cracking game. Two undefeated teams going in. That um, Obviously, it's a, a fantastic battle when you look at everyone talking about the two midfields, which one's going to come out on top. And watching this game just showed that, at the moment, Frio's midfield, um, as I've discussed before, is probably not head and shoulders above the, the comp, but... What's happened with taking Crowley out and getting Sandlands feeding it down to the likes of Fife, Hill, Mundy, even Lockie Neal feeding through there as well is um, certainly going away to the reason why we're sitting four and zip at the moment. And I was quite impressed. I actually wrote on our game day thread on our board that when we were up at half time, I was not expecting that margin. And from there, I said we will go on and win the game by about 15, 16 points. And Surely enough, it came true because you know that Sydney are, are going to put on a, a big fight and they actually had decent players. I think Canterbury and Reed and some of those other guys put in a, a big effort to get themselves back into it. But our last quarter, the way that some of the guys stood up and the amount of spoils and one percenters and guys that, you know, Mzungu is playing as a sub and it's not often you see him come on with a green vest. He put in huge spoils and intercept marks and, and really just won us the game in that last quarter so fantastic to see us get that and finish on top of the table for our outright for the first time in our history so I think after our round one game last year against Collingwood we sat shared top of the table on percentage but this is the first time in our history that we have sat outright and I think beating Melbourne this week and Going on Essendon and a couple others, we could be undefeated. And I don't, you know, touch the wood right now, but we could be undefeated going into the bye. Mm. Could be. Brisbane Lions played the West Coast Eagles on Sunday morning, well, Sunday afternoon. West Coast uh, winning convincingly here as Brisbane continue to deteriorate. Sunday afternoon, Geelong played North Melbourne at uh, at, at Skilled Stadiums. Uh, Shandog. I believe you uh, paid some attention to this. Yeah, I did. I watched that whole game. So in the end, uh, the Roos basically held off um, the Cats and, and kicked away with it uh, in the last quarter. Nine three sixty, uh, sorry, nine thirteen sixty seven to twelve eleven eighty three. Um, it was kind of a, a bit of a seesawing game that was quite scrappy at the start. I thought the, the skill levels of both team teams were a bit disappointing, even after that initial first few minutes where the adrenaline's going, everyone's fresh and running in hard and stuff. Um, What really stood out to me was it didn't seem like these were two teams that were really top four silky smooth ball users and, and, um, you know, the the pointy end of the competition. It was quite disappointing in that regard. Um, Overall, the, the North tall defenders probably kept them in the game. I think uh, guys like Tarrant, um, uh, uh, what's the uh, key back? What's his name? Um, Barry Hall had locked him. Uh, <laughs> oh, Thompson. Thompson, yes. Uh, Thompson had a great game as well, and Ferrito as well. All of them were actually uh, really quite solid in defence, restricted um, Geelong quite well, and um, and eventually uh, was sort of toing and froing for most of the game, um, but 
Col- uh, Collingwood, the Kangaroos just kicked away in the last quarter and uh, Geelong just couldn't go with them. I, I think the lack of pace um, in uh, the Kangaroos side um, was, was an issue for them early in the game and that's why Geelong kicked away at the start. But uh, once they got their ball movement going, the, the Roos got back into the game and ended up running away with it. So it was a very interesting match to watch from that perspective. Um, but it still doesn't really... People were talking about this game going into it. It's going to answer some questions. Both teams were one and three, I think, going into it. Um, you know, to find out where the teams are, um, where they really sit in, in respect to the rest of the competition. But I don't think it really answered anything. Both teams showed the best and the worst of what they got going at the moment. Actually, I was watching the first quarter, and I thought after the end of the first quarter there, I thought Geelong were pretty much going to cruise to a, a comfortable win, and then I, uh, I made my way into Etihad Stadium for the game on Sunday night, and I saw the result, and I thought, you're kidding me. North Melbourne actually came back and won that. So it, may, it must be saying something about Geelong and their current um, their current performance or the current abilities to, to, to be where they are, and, and I, I, get the, I get the feeling that they're going through a massive change um, in their in their abilities at the moment, whether or not they're slowing down, it's a combination of having a number of older players on the list here who, who, who can't or who's struggling to keep up and maintain that level, and and uh, you know not having the right mix of experience there versus the new players that are coming through. So, yeah, it was just no perplexing to see the result at the end after such they had such a, a, a decent or fair start in the first quarter. Yeah, I thought. Um... I was thinking about that same sort of thing, and to me, it seemed like the younger Geelong players, the the newer guys, the you know the zero to fifty sixty gamers, were the ones who were turning the ball over by foot when they were trying to use the middle of the ground, where the Geelong of a few years ago was just so silky through there and and uh, would link up beautifully from from the defensive fifty to the forward fifty. I think that's that's where they fell down a lot. Okay. All right. So the last game of the round was the Bulldogs versus Adelaide, Mike. And I believe you've got some thoughts. Just a few thoughts, yes. I, I made the journey into what you had on uh, Sunday night to watch that game and I was I was quite uh, quite nervous and uh, concerned and probably thinking that uh, Adelaide were going to uh, tear us a new one. And uh, which, <laughs> which in, I guess, in comparison to the result was quite the opposite by a surprise. Um, the game, I guess... Uh, it's a bit like uh, a bit like a Cinderella story, I think. When you when you look at uh, Adelaide's performance, one week they're red hot, and the next week they're not. And um, they were really made they were made very very ordinary to watch on uh, Sunday night. They had uh, no run through the middle. Their their forward press was uh, non-existent, and um, their ball movers just well held. Um, I guess the dogs. We we had uh, five players back from. Uh, the game, well, the game last week where we had five injuries, uh, three at the start of the game with Hawthorne and two after quarter time. So we had a number of valuable players back. But it was uh, it was really nice to see the Dogs put together a, a very silky performance against, um, you know, Adelaide, who were as one of the informed teams of the competition and potential top four finishes. And I'm not saying that's not going to be the case with Adelaide. I think they're going to do a lot of soul searching this week. But... Um, Geez, they were really outclassed by the dogs on Sunday, even to a point where we had players like, um, you know, Ling Jong and uh, you know Lucas Webb, who's a second gamer, really, really making them look bad. Um, what did I like from that game? I guess um, the performance of uh, of uh, Talia on um, on Tex Walker. He just gave him an absolute telling. Um, 
in the, I guess it begs the question to be asked, how come Talia wasn't playing for the Dogs last year? Um, I, I don't think it was anything to do with his former ability. If he can come out this year and play like he has, you don't, uh, you know, you don't get uh, football skills like that overnight. It takes a while, so you've got those there. Um, it's good to see Bob Murphy playing some good footy on the back line. And, um, and Matthew Boyd, I think he's been a revelation since they've moved him to the halfback flank there with his ability to, um, you know, to actually not only hit targets and prove his uh, efficiency, but um, his vision downfield, I think, is really, really important. Um, but I think taking some stuff away from the game, look, you know, towards the end of the game, the dogs were tied in the last quarter, and that's going to happen. Um, I think it's a really good... Um, boost for the dogs in terms of their their uh, their ability and their belief. Um, it's a long season to go yet, and um, I still see them tiring out sort of towards the the middle sort of to end of the year. Um, but no, it was a really good game and obviously a really good outcome considering uh, you know where, where the game ended up last week against Solomon. So there we go. Okay. Well, that's the end of the round. And we haven't gone through the Hawthorne report that's come through. We haven't. We haven't, and uh, we have some uh, breaking coverage. Dear Mother, I'm under the weather and being hammered at work, but I did watch the Port versus Hawks game. Port are very good. In the first quarter, Port kicked an unseemly number of goals. This made me sad. In the second quarter, Hawthorne were wasteful, and this made me angry and a little sad. In the third quarter, I started to watch Ocean's Eleven to dull the pain. After all these years, I still enjoy the movie, although Dan Cheadle may have committed a war crime with that hor- horrific British accent. I checked the scores later and found we were getting closer. So much for these super fit port powers, hey? I had hope, so I switched back, but we lost, and I was sad again. Then Clarkson hit some yobbo. Some on Big Footy hoped Clarkson would beat him to within an inch of his life. Others wanted him to go to the moral outrage prison for years. The moral of the story is don't give a top four team an eight goal head start. The end. (laughs) Very good. Fantastic. And that was Messenger with his report. (laughs) Took me back to one of those 1950s World Cup reports. Alrighty. (laughs) (laughs) The latter after round four. As as we've discussed, Fremantle on top, undefeated at the moment, four and four. They got Melbourne this week. Uh, that'll be an interesting game. GWS coming in second. Who would have thought that? Uh, having lost only the one game for the year, they've got West Coast this week. Collingwood uh, also, and Sydney and Adelaide and the Bulldogs all on three wins and a loss. Hawthorne in seventh spot. Who would have expected that at the moment with two and two? West Coast also two and two. Richmond North. Richmond in ninth, if anyone's interested. Um, I'm always fascinated by Sorry, that. I didn't catch that, Wookie. Where are they? They're ninth. Uh, ninth, okay. A, cool. big, a, big, a big hello to the people on the Richmond board who are convinced I hate them, um, along with the people on the West Coast board who are apparently convinced I hate them as well. A lot of people. I think, noticed there's no denial there. A lot of people think I hate them, to be honest, and uh, I'm not sure they're all wrong. Uh, speaking of people I hate, Essendon <laughs> are in 11th spot, and Mel- Melbourne, Port Adelaide, they're bringing up the uh, twos and twos, as it were. 
And the people on one wins down there, 14th through 16th, Carlton St Kilda and Geelong in 16th, which is probably a bit of a surprise to some, uh, but there seems to be something of a downswing going on there at the moment. Gold Coast and Brisbane, both Queensland sides with no wins, although that should change this coming weekend at the Q Clash. Although, with their luck, they'll probably have a draw. <laughs> or it'll get washed out. It'll get postponed. <laughs> washed out, no result, yes. So that's all that coming on. The MCG advises that for the next four weeks, at least you will be able to play football. Well, you'll be able to have kick to kick on the surface after Sunday games. Uh, if you're at those games on Sunday. Uh, Eddie had advises that their free water fountains are now up and running. And that's fantastic. But you know what? Isn't it actually good for kids to get out after the game and have a kick like the old days? And if you are, if you, well, it is, it's fantastic. It is, it is. There's no, other than insurance reasons, there's no reason why you couldn't do it. And I think they've solved some of those insurance purposes. Uh, Darren Jolly, former Collingwood and Sydney Ruckman has won the block. Uh, making almost a million dollars from there and apparently to universal disdain on Twitter. Uh, his wife is pretty much hated by everyone for being smug. Um, <laughs> so go figure. Uh, do you know what? I mean, after last year's piss poor performance and if he's pissed his money away from his footballing days, well, whose fault is that? Well, it happens, <laughs> happens to a lot of people. I'm not sure it <laughs> needed such, vehement, uh, such a vehement response there, but there you go. And that's the news from Twitter today. Uh, coming up on this round on Friday, Messenger, who will you know, no doubt fall off his rocking chair when he hears this, uh, Friday night, Carlton played Collingwood at the MCG. Uh, big game for both the Blues and the Pies. The Blues needing uh, a win to uh, get some momentum rolling in Collingwood. Well, probably the same. Any thoughts? No? Yes, Blues are... Should shoot it in. Easy. Talking <laughs> about, about eight goals. Thanks, Shanda. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'll be tipping Carlton for this one. I, I think uh, things are going to start swinging our way. Mike? Oh, I think I'm going to have to go with Collingwood, not because it's a Carlton-Collingwood game. Or a good... <laughs> I think probably Carlton's, uh, sorry, Collingwood's just got a little bit more form going into this game. It's going to be good weather for this game, apparently. It'll be 21 degrees mm. at night, but no rain during the day or anything, so... Should, should be good. Sunday, uh, Saturday rather, Richmond have got Geelong at the MCG, a Saturday afternoon game, uh, a rare one for Geelong uh, in Melbourne. Yeah. So this is nationally telecasted on the Seven Network. Uh, chance, 60% chance of showers though, so <laughs> might be wishing this was at Eddie Head. Uh, this is an odd one because I think Geelong are so hard to predict at the moment what they're doing. And Richmond's almost the hardest team, probably in my category in North Melbourne, that they're just the hardest team to tip. Like, you expect them to win and they lose, and then you expect them to lose and they win. So this is probably one of the hardest games <laughs> of the round to see which way it's going to go. So I'm actually going to say this game is going to be a draw. Mm. I'm I can't see Geelong Richmond. being bad again. Mm. Yeah. I, I can, I can. I'm actually going Richmond in this game for some reason. Um, I think Geelong will get up at the MCG. Just, I have a feeling... I have a feeling. <laughs> I there's no, there's no evidentiary basis for that feeling, but I, I just, I feel it in my old bones. 
Sydney have the Western Bulldogs at the SCG. Uh, 90% chance of showers, Mike. <laughs> oh, it is <laughs> it's, um... going to be a crap game with a 90% chance of rain. And I tell you what, after all the rain that they've had in New South Wales over the last few weeks, gosh, we could be in for another another great flood or Noah's Ark. On soccer score for the... Uh... The results at the end, two goals, one, or something like that. <laughs> it's yeah, be... look, it's 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 going to be a, a game for the small players, that's for sure, because the big men are going to struggle in that game. And I would not, I'm actually not going to predict any outcome on this because it could be absolutely horrible to watch. Horrible. For the um, for that reason that you're talking about, I think the Western Bulldogs forward line with Stringer and the like is probably better suited to um, what the conditions are going to be like. And I'm going to tip them for an upset. Yeah, I'm going to go the Bulldogs on this. On paper, this is the match of the round, I believe, from ladder positions and whatnot. But definitely um, interest-wise, yeah. It's uh, it's also not broadcast on seven, only in, only in New South Wales. It's Fox Footy everywhere else. But um, yeah, look, I think the Bulldogs have an edge here. I mean, they play out of the Western Oval, which is quite noted for being something of a mud heap most of the time. Um, I've played on it, and it was then. I fondly remember the game in 91 that Carlton played against the Bulldogs. Oh, where, yeah. Mark Garcia, yes. Where, had to go and yeah, spoil the party, didn't yeah, he? You know, <laughs> I, I remember that game. <laughs> it was... Um, uh, no, 91. No goals until time one in the last quarter. <laughs> it was a shocking game. <laughs> thank thank God for Mark We could have been the only team in history to keep Carlton goalless in a whole game. Yeah, but you failed at that too. So, we failed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Gold Coast have Brisbane in the Q Clash. Uh, this game broadcast only on seven, mate, in Queensland. Fox Footy nationally. This is at four thirty-five PM in Queensland. Uh, five o'clock in your, well, in the eastern states. Otherwise, no. It's you call it the Q Clash, but I call this the Cripple Fight. It's uh, yeah, two teams <laughs> without a win, and the winner is going to be limping over the line. I think with this one. Yeah. Brisbane by default. I think we're going to see a very low turnout at this game as well, I think. But who knows? North Melbourne have Hawthorne on uh, Saturday evening. This is the national broadcast game from Etihad Stadium. Won't be shown in WA or New South Wales. Uh, WA taking the West Coast GWS game, which I'm sure they're thrilled with. Um, 60% chance of showers for this one. But the roof, the roof will be on, apparently. So... Uh, <laughs> Although, again, as with all games, North Melbourne, I sincerely hope they leave the roof off. <laughs> or, the, or, the, or they mount it. I'd just put a sprinkler in the roof and just have it turn on at random points. Honestly, the whining just, there just ticks me off. Just, <laughs> just if you don't stop whining. Yeah, I'd, have, I'd have a sprinkler in the coach's box that would just come on at random times. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. All right. uh, did I hear correctly that... Um... Jeez, um, what are their names now? Why am I forgetting defenders' names? Uh, Frawley and um, and Lake are they? They're both going to be back for this game, are they? No, Lake's. Uh, I think Lake's out, isn't he? I don't I think heard, he's... Yes, I might have misheard on the radio something in there, but I, I don't know. I think uh, Hawks' defence will be too good for North Melbourne, and, and they'll get over him. I think. Mm. No, you're not expecting Jared White to kick a bag. Uh, no, he, he had a good game last week, so not due, possible. Due for the off one or suspension this week. Yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not bitter yeah. at all. 
Um, no, sorry. Before we go on, yeah, definitely Lake and Four. You're out, so that's uh, the call is out for Ryan Schoenmakers to come in and make a big, uh, big statement. Well, okay, so just edit that bit out. Apparently, when when they said um, out, I thought they said in. So, yeah. <laughs> so you might, you might want to change your prediction to uh, North Melbourne now. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Hawthorne, uh, their attacks are too good for North. <laughs> <laughs> All right, West Coast have got GWS at the main stadium in Perth at seven forty p.m. Well, at five forty p.m. Perth time. Uh, GWS second on the ladder. West Coast below them. What's uh, can GWS win in Perth? I'm going to say yes. I am tipping GWS. You're well and truly I on the bandwagon. Got massive issues, but I, I think GWS are uh, coming of age, and I think they've been out there long enough. And this is a game that I think the Eagles will be uh, scared, and this is a danger game for them. And I'm tipping this as the upset. I'm not sure at the moment what the uh, the odds are between these two sides, but this is one that I think that GDF, GWS will uh, start to um, just show exactly that they could be, you know, starting to head up the ladder. And this is a side that's Probably struggled against a, a, a many sides so far. I think this is one thing that the, the midfield difference, and, and who would have thought that GWS now sitting with guys like Trelaw, Shiel, Griffin, um, well, we've got countless countless of guys running through that midfield. That's just a lot better than uh, Prudis. Um, I don't know the rest of the Prittis. Eagles midfield because Chris, <laughs> um, Nat Nui, he, he plays like a midfielder. Um, yeah, I'm done. That's that's the game done. Well, <laughs> I, I'm actually I'm actually going for West Coast in this game. Mm. I'm, I'm going to back GWS. In fact, so much so that I'm going to go and put money on them tomorrow. Uh, they're at two forty-five at the moment. GWS West Coast one fifty-five for the favourites to win. Uh, the weather's supposed to be okay. Twenty-one degrees, mostly sunny during the day. So, yeah. No, I'm going GWS on this. I think uh, I think Shandog's right. I think they're they're due to come through. Would the this would be their first game in, in Perth? Would it? It is their first game in Perth. They've played no, it's their second game in Perth. Sorry, they played in Perth last year. Second. Uh, West Coast ah. won last year, thirty-eight, uh, thirty goals, eight to twelve goals, five. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a convincing win there. One hundred and eleven points. Uh, the previous two games were at Spotless Stadium and at Blacktown. Uh, which they both won as well. The Giants are number one for handballs in 2015. Uh, the Eagles are sixth. No team has kicked more goals than West Coast this season. So, interesting stuff. Interesting stuff indeed. Melbourne play Fremantle at the MCG, one of Fremantle's rare games at the MCG for the season. Uh, this is a Sunday afternoon game at 1.10, Seppo. Uh, You've been down making the uh, banner? Yeah, I've been doing that tonight and I'm looking forward to this game on Sunday. And it's certainly at the, one of the start of the year. There's probably a lot of Freo supporters thinking this is going to be a walk in the park. And I think uh, Melbourne are going to show some fight. And it's going to be a tight contest, but I think us will uh, get the result here. But I think it's going to be a lot lower margin. Because if you look at the last four times we've met, I think the average winning margin is about 60, 70 points in Freo's favour. But this is a different Melbourne now we're looking at. But... um. I think uh, looking at this game, I think I'm going to be a bit jealous of, uh, like I mentioned before, the the two guys running around there. But um, it'd just be great to get the win and 
and just further extend our uh, lead on the top of the ladder for this one. This this is one of the higher ranked games in terms of interest for me this weekend. This will this will tell us whether Melbourne are actually a, a genuine a genuine force in 2015 or not. How they perform mm. uh, against Fremantle, so yeah, I think Fremantle will win, but I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park. And, and the other good point to raise, and I know Messenger would absolutely love this if he was on right now, but I think this is another potential for Fife to pick up another three Brownlow votes and um, <laughs> hopefully not get um, suspended, because at the moment by my records, and I'm keeping count of, got him on ten, winning um, probably three, three, one, and three, or possibly two um, for the first four games, so at the moment, he's um, miles out in front of the AFL Coaches um, Award and probably sitting out in front of the Brownlow voting too. So providing he can keep on doing what he's doing, he's taken home Charlie this year. We'll, we'll see. Long season yet, Seppo. Yeah. Long season yet. He's going to get to round 23 and punch someone. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 that's what Messenger would be saying. Oh, I would pay <laughs> someone to do that. Um, St Kilda have got Essendon on Etihad Stadium. I don't think uh, anyone's going to go for St Kilda on this. Are you? No, I, I think I said more will win this one. I wonder what the odds are on a St Kilda win here. Five twenty-five for a St Kilda. Uh, yeah, win. yeah, it's, it's not too bad, is it? Five twenty-five to dollar sixteen on Crown Bet. I wonder if that'll change if uh, depending on Rewalt's inclusion. Mm. So, fun, fun stuff. The last game of the round, the showdown in Adelaide. Uh, Adelaide play Port Adelaide um, at the Adelaide Oval. They haven't been able to train on the Oval all week. Soccer has been uh, using it. I think there's a final in Adelaide on Friday night for them. Or Saturday night or something. I don't know. Whenever they play their stupid final. Hello, soccer fans. <laughs> <laughs> this this could be an interesting game. Adelaide started the season so well, um, and Port destroyed Hawthorne in the first half last week. So, but then again, Adelaide pathetic against uh, the Bulldogs. I have no idea who's going to show up mm. on Sunday. It'd be interesting. This thing for Port, if they lose this, they go to two and three, and I'm not sure if it makes it a bit hard for them to get to top four, but. I suppose if they do, does that mean that Adelaide sort of start their little drop-off after their great start and sort of put Port back where they expected to be? Because if Port play like they did against Hawthorne, they've got this game. Yeah. No, I'd expect Port to win this. I think Adelaide are going to drop now. At least I hope they are. Hello, Adelaide fans. <laughs> Just add them, to my, add them to my list. <laughs> How many do you think are listening? It's, listen, our audience now just consists of, well, it doesn't even consist of Carlton people because they don't like me either, really. Anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll see We'll see how long the Collingwood people can handle me after I appear on their podcast tomorrow night. Um, what are you looking forward to the most for the weekend, guys? Seppo? Um, probably the uh, post-match press conference from uh, Mick Malthouse on uh, Friday night. I'll be uh, tuning into this game. And I think if um, 
I suppose Carlton win is going to be quite interesting, but I'm almost expecting a Carlton loss and just the reaction and how the media reacts after the game and just <laughs> to see how it's all been taken. So that's what I'm looking forward to set up a weekend of just watching a great side like Carlton play on another wonderful Friday night time slot. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping Mick Hence Malthouse walks into the press conference after the game, walks up to Mark Stevens and just punches him in the face and then just 7.15, bitches, and I'm out. <laughs> oh, out with I just angle. walks off. <laughs> That's it. That's all. Oh, look, look. I tell you what. As long as it's not Brian Taylor commentating, because I tell you, if he is, I will not watch the game. Yeah. I don't think Even he's on the. Way. I don't think he's on the Friday night team, Brian Taylor, is he? Or did they move him? I can't remember. No, he was. He. Oh, look, I'm not sure, but he has been on a few Friday night games. What about you, Mike? Mm. What are you looking forward to? And I don't want to hear the words Bontem Pelly out of your mouth. <laughs> Jake Stringer. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I tell you what, it probably won't be Buddy and Tippett having a big day if it's going to be a 90% chance of rain, that's for sure. um, Yeah, look, I don't know. We we don't play too well at the SCG, so this this game could go in any direction. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, Oh, look, I don't know. Uh, I will be actually interested to see the outcome of the Carlton Collingwood game. Um, but also the Port Adelaide and uh, Adelaide game, you know, the old um, South Australian crap fight game to see where each of those particular teams are in terms of their expectations. But, um, yeah, no, look, it's it's sort of a mixed round. It's not really an entertaining round as, as, as anything that, you know, as far as a blockbuster that really stands out. So um, I guess we'll just wait and see. Mm, all right. And Shandog, what are you looking forward to, Mark? Well, other than the the Carlton Collingwood one, which I think should be a good game, um, it's probably that uh, Sydney Bulldogs one I'm most in- interested in. I'll have to watch the replay though, because my uh, my wife's thirtieth birthday party is on during that time, so probably can't sneak away and watch it. So that's what mobile. That'll phones, be the highlight of the weekend. That's what mobile phone coverage <laughs> is for, mate. Yeah, it's well, it. You know, the <laughs> no, Carlton that... Collingwood game. <laughs> The Carlton and Collingwood look yeah, like rivals. They do. They do draw big crowds. So as long as it's not an absolute crap game of crap skills and it's a bit of entertainment, people are going to watch it. Good weather. Uh, Carlton coming off a win. Collingwood coming off a win. Yeah, I'd expect at least sixty thousand for this game, minimum. Should be a good one to watch anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my my um my highlight for this game, obviously the Carlton Collingwood game. I love them. I, I I love I love the big matches against Collingwood. I hate Collingwood like you wouldn't believe. Um, yeah, there's there's nothing better than beating Collingwood if you can, especially if you're coming f- coming from behind or you, you you've been down all year and pulling off a surprise win. So that's that, that'll be my highlight. We'll see you all next week. <laughs> or won't if we lose. Um, there'll be Senor Wookio will be here, and um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's 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 what'll be happening there. Look, that's all from the podcast this week. Thank you very much to everyone that appeared this week. Uh, Shandog, thanks for coming on. No worries, thank you. Good night, everyone. And thank you, uh, uh, Mike, for coming on. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of a tongue twister for you there, we'll use it. Oh, <laughs> I was going to call you Bontempelli. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, at least he's, he's starting to get there. He's starting to, starting to teach him. Who knows? But, uh, no, thanks. Good to be back on the show. And uh, thanks, Seppo. No worries. Just call me Fife. 
five. <laughs> you know, I was waiting. I was expecting you to say that. So Are five. you sure you don't have a photo or a picture of Fife above your bed, Seppo? Because I'm sure it's got to be somewhere in your house. Oh, I'm sure mine's bigger than uh, yours of uh, Bond and Pelly. We can compare life-size posters next time. <laughs> you, you'll, uh, you'll have Crips over your bed, uh, Shandog? Over it. He's in it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I'm not even sure that's legal. Um, anyway, that's good night from us before we get into more trouble. Thanks very much to Messenger for writing in. <laughs> Enjoy Friday night footy mess, and uh, we'll see you. We'll see you all next week on the forums. <laughs>